Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming-out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we are not in our studio. And so the audio quality that you're used to might be a little bit different, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am so excited about our guest here with me today. Lex Pa'er Horowitz, they, them pronouns, is a queer, non-binary, transmasculine, Jewish, LGBTQ plus educator, activist, consultant, and public speaker based out of Philadelphia. Lex received their BA in psychology and gender, sexuality, and women's studies from Bowdoin College, where they competed as the first out transgender athlete in collegiate squash and as the first out trans athlete at Bowdoin. Their advocacy focuses on educating allies and members of the queer community on LGBTQ plus identities, topics, and issues through a multitude of pathways, facilitations, workshops, lectures, policy development, curriculum creation, one-on-one support, and consultation services, to name a few. Lex's goal is to provide a judgment-free, safe space for all people to engage in critical conversation about gender, sexuality, and community. You can learn more about Lex and access their free educational resources on their website, which I will link to. Stay connected and follow Lex's journey through Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Patreon, and YouTube. Lex, welcome. Hello. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. My gosh, it's truly my pleasure. I'm so excited that we connected on Instagram and now here we are. Here we are, computer to computer. Computer to computer, (laughs) yeah. Um, I just want to say a few things about your bio, which is packed. (laughs) <laughs> How do you have time to do anything? <laughs> oh my gosh. It, uh, it is a packed bio. I am a jack of many trades, so they say. And I, I even, on top of all of that, I have the absolute pleasure of living visibly and doing modeling work to bring positive and affirming narratives. So just add a whole other area and realm of existence into everything that I do that is my life and advocacy. <laughs> I love that. I, I feel like you and I are, we're still getting to know one another, but I feel like we are so aligned in so many ways. It's almost like this bio could be my bio, oh, except yeah. for being an athlete. I am an athletic <laughs> supporter, but, um, <laughs> but other than that, um, so much over, I love that dream team, a dream team. Dream team. Exactly. <laughs> we're stronger together. It's all about teamwork. Hey, You may not be an athlete, but hey, teamwork is in in existence in all realms. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay, so we all have multiple coming out stories, coming into ourselves stories. And I would love, and our guests would love, and our guests, you're our guest, our (laughs) listeners (laughs) would love to hear one of yours. Of course. So I always love to talk about 
my differentiation in my own internal experience in understanding my identities, something that I call coming to my identities. And then the what most folks think of when they hear coming out, which is the external process of sharing those internal identities with other people. And so my internal process of understanding myself happened pretty consistently and evolved and developed throughout my entire life from childhood to where I am today. I am not necessarily a different person. I am an evolved person because I've had enough lived experiences from every single realm of my life to be able to understand what my true self and authenticity looks like for me. And so I remember from a very young age, identifying outside of the binary, but not having had the language or the environments where I saw trans people in the first place or had the language to understand that gender identity wasn't something that someone else could tell you you had. Uh, So I remember growing up, Halloween was my favorite holiday because I love to be able to have no one necessarily question my desires and getting to simply navigate the world as Lex. And that was just such a magical time for me to be able to fully explore without having the, the heightened scrutiny or the judgment because that holiday was acceptable in quotations for all to be able to do that. Uh, and I know that for me, I actually went to a quote, all girls school for 14 years. And so the environments I was in, whether it was my secu- secular religious uh, or just home community environments, I received so many different messages about this is what you need to look like or should look like because of your identities. And so when I was in college, I was in environments where queerness was, was an actual way to live that wasn't used as a slur, wasn't used as a way to distance oneself or bully or be told that you're different for a, a negative reason. And it was in this space where I had language to understand what queerness was, as well as an environment where I actually saw queer people that I was able to, to have all of the feelings and the thoughts and desires that had been inside me for my entire life finally surfaced to the point where I couldn't repress it any longer, even though that repression was very much so uh, internal and not something I was consciously aware of. And so my coming out happened, uh, my coming out, my coming to happened in a lot of different realms, mainly with me being able to finally face the truth of I was queer and that was something to be able to celebrate. Yes. Hell yes. That's something to celebrate. Thank you for sharing. Um, for those of you who, all of you actually, except for Lex can't see me, but I was like nodding like intensely to everything they said. Um, just so relatable for me specifically. And I'm sure people who are listening and I wrote in big capital letters with a bunch of E's Halloween. Uh, I also would add in for myself, Purim was another <laughs> time. Uh, that I could dress up. And so when I, when I share my story with different people, I talk about Halloween and Purim and how only two times a year, almost verbatim, truly Lex, we are so on the same wavelength, (laughs) like verbatim of what you said is what I say is like, no one could question. No one would judge. No one would say a thing. I could just live in the world as dubs. And how freeing was that? And how also sad on the flip side, like two days a year. Exactly. was the only time I could feel like myself. Yes. Oh, I just, I, I truly just feel so strongly about that freedom that comes from Halloween. Mm-hmm. And so even today, like to this day, I, 
I wish that more people would enjoy Halloween in the ways that I do. Even though now I'm able to live authentically and out and open and proud, I still love the idea that every single person, if the societal narratives of cisnormativity or heteronormativity will impact us, right? We all have some form of internalized narrative from that or shame, but maybe even Halloween for folks identify as straight or cis can still explore the beauty of gender expression or existence and whatever that means to them on Halloween, because we have the permission to do that any day of the year, because Mm -hmm. we are in control of our own lives and have the power to live our truth. But at least Halloween can be this golden ticket, as one may say, for Mm -hmm. everyone to be able to, to let, to not judge themselves. Cause I feel like that's a big part of what Halloween can just provide. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, that idea of like the golden ticket of like, here's your opportunity. It's also, I, maybe I conditioned to think of like the sad, the sad side of things, but it's like, I wish that I just wish for all folks of all gender identities and sexual orientations to not need a, a day of, for that permission and just to allow folks to, like you said, explore their gender expression, explore who they are. Um, as I just imagine a world where, cis normativity and heteronormativity don't exist. And I just, I know for a fact that so many more people would exist in the world in such a different way if it wasn't stigmatized and demonized and dangerous to live as one's authentic self. Absolutely. And that is exactly why I do what I do. As an educator and an activist, whether I am giving a facilitation or talking in a community group, whatever it happens to be, my entire goal and mission and purpose is to be able to put affirming queer knowledge into the universe so that people can understand that accessing your authentic self, for one, it isn't a one-stop shop. It's something that happens throughout our entire lives. Mm-hmm. But also the the stereotypes and the the not only the stereotypes, but the messages that we receive about what gender is uh, and what our identity should be, whether you're in the queer community or not, it's going to limit your ability to just navigate society freely. And so I totally hear you on that. It is, it is heartbreaking to know that not everyone feels like they can explore all of the potential opportunities to be whatever their true self may mean. Uh, so I, I just feel you on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking about something you said, um, which is you remember kind of identifying and feeling non-binary when you were a kid, but didn't have the language to say that. And that's so relatable. Me and other people I know who, and people who've written into the show by written in, I mean, like on Instagram, but, um, wouldn't that be great to have handwritten letters like back in the day um so can you give us some examples or how you kind of knew and did you know it in the moment or was it more of a hindsight kind of thing it was definitely more of a hindsight kind of a thing also something that was so blatantly clear that I I although no one can tell you your identities right so gender identity or sexuality whatever it may be as an internal core concept of self And that's why no one can tell you what your gender is. Nonetheless, I wish that people had picked up on what I was attempting to communicate, even without having the language to blatantly say, I am queer, I am non-binary. 
so some of my earliest recollections of this, as I have been thinking about and processing my own gender and queer journey, were that when I was about three or four years old, I remember my dad was getting my sister and I dressed to play outside. And I had my shorts on and I ran out the front door and I wasn't wearing a shirt. And my dad said, come back, Lex, you're not done getting changed. And I just said, boys don't wear shirts. And I kept Mm. running. And so I already was picking up one on the fact that there were quote gender differences in what we were allowed and not allowed to wear. And I was identifying as not a girl by saying that I'm not going to wear a shirt. Uh, And that was from a very, very young age. I even remember in 2001, I, (laughs) I remember this because it was to my parents's, uh, Oh, what's the proper word? They were horrified and shocked that my, Mm. my sister and I had hair down to our butts when we were little, everyone used to think that we were twins and we were 11 months apart. So we are very close. She's my best friend. I love her. And so we were at a play date and my friend and I and my sister had scissors. I'm like, oh, we'll do like a little haircut. And so my sister got a couple of inches taken off of her hair and I got a couple of inches, but I was like, you know what? Let's do a little bit more. And so I chopped off all of my hair. <laughs> nice. And so when my, my mom and my dad came to pick me up, they were, oh my gosh, what happened to your, your beautiful long hair? And I was so happy. My school picture from that year, I was cheesing so big because I had, I had shorter hair and I really liked it. And so I know that a really big part of my own, when I came to the understanding that I was genderqueer when, and my hair was still down to my waist because I had been conditioned to say like, that's what beauty is. You are mm-hmm. assigned female. You are assigned girl. You are assigned feminine. Therefore you need to have long hair because that is what you're being assigned. So hair has always been an extremely important part of my own journey. And even in first grade, I went in to class one day with my book reading buddy. And I said, my name is Lex and I'm a boy. And this was at my quote, all girls school. And all I can remember is her saying, okay. And we just kept reading. <laughs> and I have plenty of other stories that go along with that. <laughs> um, I just am, I am still in shock and awe about how similar our <laughs> we are. I have the same stories and I just and it's it is so affirming and so incredible to know that I'm not alone in that and then then it just is giving me all the the feels of like how many more of us are there? Yeah. And it's also like similar to what you said earlier, it's like why I do the work I do because I don't want kiddos to ever feel alone or isolated or the or not have the words to say how they're feeling because it is so hard it's so hard it is and that's I love that so much of what we're talking about has just even through our own different lived experiences there are so many whether it's parallels or shared emotions or impact that because it's hard to not feel isolated and alone especially since for so much of our formative aspects of our lives we have gone through not having the language or the community to feel validated and to feel affirmed and to feel seen. And so, ah, yes, that's why we do the work that we do. Because even if there isn't the language, like even before I had the language, I was finding ways to communicate, Hey, this idea of gender that you have for me doesn't work. doesn't mean it doesn't work. That doesn't mean that it won't work for other people, but it just doesn't work for me. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. There's so many times where I, I wish, and this is all hindsight too, but wish that my parents would have picked, picked up what I was putting down. And it's like begging for certain, you know, for haircut mm. and, you know, similar to what you had said earlier. Um, I just, I, I got all of these messages of like, little girls don't X, Y, Z, little girls don't do this. Little girls don't do that. And I was like, that's great. I'm not that. <laughs> but yeah. Like, like, yeah, that's exactly yes, we're on the same page. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that just reminded me what, let me know if this is similar to you as well, mm-hmm. is that I, so I had, I had directly and indirectly received the messages about this is what is appropriate. And this is what it means to be quote, a girl or a boy. And a lot of it had to do with the misconflation of one sex or assigned sex at birth mm-hmm. being misconflated with gender, further being misconflated with gender expression. So in the gender expression realm, being femininity, masculinity, androgyny. I picked up very quickly that nail polish was quote for girls and that pink was quote the girl's color. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had to use those as weapons to distance myself from girlhood. So I used to say that I was, well, I, mean, I always mess this up. I used to say that I was allergic to nail polish. Oh no. I used to say I was allergic to the color pink. That's what it was. Mm. Allergic to the color pink. And that I would throw up if I was gifted nail polish. So I would find ways to communicate that these don't work for me. And it's made it very complicated for me to now understand that I actually have no problem with these understandings of femininity, but I had to use them as weapons to protect myself when I was little. And so I'm currently going through a new journey of processing and understanding that I define femininity, masculinity, and androgyny for me. And that can look like me using nail polish. Pink is one of my favorite colors. Blue is one of my favorite colors. The pastels behind me, the shirt that I'm wearing, everything. I'm now able to not see gender as, I think, was this Kate Pornstein that said this, uh, that gender is not a minefield, but it can be a a playground that we can all enjoy. And so Mm. finally in that space where, the narratives that I've internalized, I'm able to dismantle and to grow into affirmation and euphoria. Yes, I relate to all of that. <laughs> Re, retweet. Um, absolutely. And I, you know, my bedroom was floor to ceiling pink. And I was like, I fucking hate pink. <laughs> but like now I'm like, I fucking love pink. Yes. I love it. And yes. it's like so what you were saying too, like this, like dismantling. And also there's a lot for me and what, in what, in the work that I do and what I've learned and talking to lots of different people, which I'm sure you have as well. uh, There's also this like undoing, redoing, undoing, redoing. And I kind of think that we need to get used to that life is actually not static and it is all undoing and redoing because we're growing, evolving, growing, evolving humans. Yes, that is, that is fully my mantra. My mantra yeah. that is on my board here that I wake up and remind myself every single morning is always growing, always changing both ends. Mm. That's exactly what it is. And it's also, this is somewhat different, but definitely connected is this idea that as trans people or non-binary people, uh, that transitioning is solely within those realms. Like you have to be trans to transition. For starters, trans people don't need to physically transition or socially Mm -hmm. or medically or legally, whatever form to be trans. The point of me saying this though, is that we're all in a constant state of transition, whether you are cis or trans, queer or straight, 
right? Because we're all, every day when we wake up, we have new experiences. And those experiences, if we have the mindfulness to be able to process them and really sit with them, we learn more about our own desires and what authenticity means. And we grow, right? Nothing about us being alive is static. And that's, I just fully, if I can put one thing into the universe, I wish that people would allow the space for processing and growth. Retweet. I'm like, (laughs) I'm just like, my tummy is tickling right now. And I'm just like, this is the best conversation I've ever had. (laughs) No offense to all my other guests. Of course, (laughs) I've loved those conversations, of course. But there's just something so affirming and lovely about, it's just, this feels like pure reflection. (laughs) And it's so rare. Uh, And I feel like it wouldn't be so rare if people were allowed and uh, were allowed and allowed themselves to live authentically, Um, which now I feel like I just repeated what I said earlier, but I mean it. Um, Yeah, that's the truth. And also, I don't know if this is something you've experienced too, Um, but I had this, when I first came, so when I first came out, I came out as gay. I was never comfortable with the term lesbian And I kind of realized recently that that was a, for many reasons, lesbian specifically at my quote, all girls school was definitely used as a weapon, uh, being in that like woman's space. Uh, And that's actually something that my sister had to remind me because a lot of, a lot of the experiences that I've had have been repressed. I've had to use a lot of different coping mechanisms where just memories don't exist anymore or in order for them to exist, I have to experience a trigger, which is extremely uncomfortable. And then it brings me to a different mental, emotional, and physical space. And it reminds me why I don't have access to those memories anymore. And so when I first came out, lesbian was never something I was comfortable with. It was always gay. And I see, I see your reactions. Oh, before <laughs> I even go on, let me hear. <laughs> just yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Same experience exactly, and I also just recently, um, I'm just have been exploring a lot of different things, and that's one of them. I was like, why did I hate? Like, it's just because it was used as a it was I mean slur. It was used as a derogatory term like lesbian or dyke, and I really internalized that. And and that also wasn't a word that felt affirming because guess what? I'm not a woman. And so I also use gay <laughs> and like, yes. so yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like I definitely think it came from all of those different areas of what I had experienced. And also even without having the conscious knowledge that I wasn't, a, without having the ability to pin down, because I also don't believe that we ever really have an 100% guaranteed understanding of our identities, right? That same idea that we're identity one is fluid and that nothing is static about our existence. But even in choosing gay as my first term, knew that there was something about a term that has been traditionally defined for women, not saying that that is what it currently is, because I certainly, one of my best friends is a gender fluid lesbian. So love it. So many, or I have another friend that's a non-binary lesbian. So mm-hmm. identity terms are what we need them to be. They are not predetermined by other people. Other important thing to note. My God, <laughs> how many, like so many pull quotes. Amazing. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> that is just the truth. Being in this space, even just in this moment just feels so, I feel so much love, light and warmth and affirmation and validity, which which is, I truly wish I could feel in every space I go into. And that simply is not the case as, as someone who lives outside the binary, as someone who has always been queer uh, and have had this beautiful queer energy, which 
ironically was used to mistreat me or bully me growing up. And now is the same thing that I use to propel my positivity and power into the universe. Uh, and so all that is to say that that term gay just felt right for me. Now I use the term queer because of its, well, one queer being more expansive, gay traditionally being associated with uh, a single gender that likes that same single gender and queer being a political term, or I guess with political power in it. And then also just being more expansive where you really have no idea what I'm talking about when I say I'm queer. <laughs> right. I have the control to tell you what that may mean. Uh, and then it was coming to my gender queer identity that was the next step in, in my understanding of my queerness and my identity. And it was in the safety of, of having the support of my, my family in coming out as gay that was honestly, I was, I was really scared because of all of the, the pent up messages and internalized shame that I had experienced. And so it was after being so fully loved by my family that I was able to explore what gender meant for me to the point where I remember explicitly coming out to each of my family members. And I don't fully remember exactly how I came out as trans or genderqueer to a lot of people because I wasn't as frightened because I knew that, well, I knew that for starters, coming out was never an option for me. I was going to be me because I had spent my entire life being someone that other people, not even, it wasn't even a choice. So I don't even like the language that I'm choosing there. I was, I was acting and in drag my entire life. And as soon as I had the eye opening realization that that's what it was, there was nothing holding me back from saying that will never happen again. And so coming to my gender queerness has just grown and evolved with my understanding of my understanding of my gender identity, of my gender expression, of my association with the sex and currently, and I don't really think ever identifying with the sex in the first place is in this constant state of questioning. Uh, and growth, which is honestly a little scary. <laughs> yeah. But it's the way it is. Yeah. <sighs> and you might get tired of me saying this, but retweet. <laughs> like, retweet yes, all of those things. And I had such a similar um, experience too of like getting so much support um, and love from my family coming out as gay. Um, didn't come with its challenges of like, are you sure? How do you know? Are you sure you don't want to date, you know, XYZ boy? answer is yes, I am sure. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting. And so when I did realize, so I came into my gender queer identity before knowing what gender queer non-binary was. I mm-hmm. just like was at a lipstick lesbian awareness party as an ally. And I'm in this space and it, it literally was a glass shattering moment of, oh, I'm not a woman. And so <laughs> I didn't have the language right for like a year, I think, or more. But I remember once I had that realization, I knew in that moment I had to have top surgery. I knew I needed to not go by the name I was given at birth. Like Mm. there were very certain things that just came to me. And I was like, I have to do this. Um, And I remember telling each family member um, separately made a point, like called friends and was like, I have to tell you this great news because it's exactly what you just said. It's like I spent literally my entire life in drag being somebody I was um, also same with you, like with the words of choice, like it was me but it also was not me in a lot of ways. Um, And so it's just, and I I too had the same realization of like, I'm never doing this again. I have spent 30 years of my life 
trying to cater to other people and be the the nice Jewish girl that everyone wanted me to be. And that was never me. Yes. And it will never be me. But what I think is interesting too for me is that well, this is a whole this is this might shift our conversation. Is that is that okay? Yeah. Um, I don't know if if you've experienced this or what your experience is with like romantic and sexual attraction in general, but I know for me, like my whole life, I've always had crushes on girls and like had a very, um, no, not really crushes on boys or, and I didn't know other genders existed at that point. And I'm almost a year on T and there's something that's like clicking with me. It's like, I'm attracted to more people than Mm. I thought I was originally. And I think it's definitely hormone based because I'm also like, my libido is like out the window, out the roof, <laughs> out the country world universe. Has and, its own passport. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And I'm also like, but it's also like expanding. And I, you know, I've never talked about this publicly before, but it's um, it's really wild. And I think the tools that I that you and I have been talking about leading up to now is like allowing that awareness and it's like I'm not going to be afraid of this I'm not going to shy away from this I'm an evolving human and I want to know what this is about and I'm going to explore it and I'm curious if you have had any like what your experiences if any have been in that in that world oh absolutely and also thank you so much for sharing that experience with me and for just cultivating this loving comfortable affirming euphoric space just makes me so happy that we're able to have this conversation in the first place because this is me. This may be a shocker, but I have a very similar experience. (laughs) 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 Yes. I, oh my goodness. I also, I guess before even diving into this, it's interesting because my coming out as gay in the first place, and this is something that I haven't, that I've actually realized I've, I've stored away and I've created into a more, a more comfortable and digestible story for myself because the real story actually hurts too much. Mm. Um, Something that I've actually been understanding and unpacking through therapy, which I'm super grateful for. Um, And that is still to say that I am accepted and loved by my family. And nonetheless, like realizing that there are so many different coping mechanisms that we may use in order to just get through the day in order to simply be alive and, to love ourselves in the ways that we need to be loved. And so something that you had said before had brought that up. And so I just wanted Mm. to say like, wherever anyone is in their journey in sharing their identities, if that is a choice that they want to do, um, it looks like so many different things and whatever one must do to show themselves love and support and cope with whatever the situation is so, so very valid. Um, And so one of the things that came up there is I did come out to a family member uh, when I had fallen madly in love with a woman and it was the strongest experience I've ever had. And it was just, it just shook and changed my world. And so I came out to a family member and said that I'm gay. And this family member said to me, well, you're still going to marry a man. Mm. And or you've all end paired with, well, you've always dated guys. So like, whether it's how, I don't know the full verbatim, how do you really know? Or you're just going to go back. So kind of the, the, this is a phase kind of situation. Um, and so even just having responses like that are extremely invalidating. 
Uh, and it's also saying that your sexuality is dictated by the experiences that you've had when right. any form of identity, including sexuality, is based off of self-identification and desire and not based off of actual action. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yes. I say that as much as I can to my guests who come on and are wary of that. I'm like, mm-mm. Exactly. About your internal sense of self and internal sense of desire. Yes. Yeah. I'm even thinking to my friends that identify as lesbians have have had more experiences with folks of different genders, uh, or I guess have had experiences with folks that identify as men more so than me. And I don't identify as lesbian. So it's just understanding the many different ways that even these terms are supposed to mean one thing, but what they truly mean for us is com- could be completely different. Yeah. And so, yeah, I remember growing up, I, I had, oh, I think I'm going to allow myself to say this. I had crushes on boys and girls. Mm. I think I would almost always since coming out as gay, think or believe that I solely had crushes on girls. Um, But I feel as if that may have actually been my way of protecting myself from people telling me that it was a phase. Yep. Because if I think about some of my close childhood friends who were boys there was definitely a mix of there's something about you that I, that I'm envious of that. Like I want for myself, but also I think I like you. (laughs) (laughs) And in that same vein, having, uh, especially like noticing, uh, I would say more so when I was at my quote, all girls school, we had a quote brother school and being conditioned into heterosexuality in the Mm -hmm. most direct and indirect ways with dances and mixers and school events, whatever it may be. And so I practically always had a boyfriend and my boyfriend, um, my first boyfriend, actually wait, first, first. And then one of my other, I'm going to say partners, because now she also identifies as trans. uh, I met at synagogue. Mm. And they were, especially my first boyfriend, my, my best friend. And I'm someone who is uh, demi-romantic, demisexual. I, for me, being queer means a whole lot of things. I'm also pan, just because for me, it's about the, the energy and the experience that I share with the person, not what their gender identity is or what their sex is. Um, and so I always, historically, and still fall for my best friends. <laughs> um, and so I, I was conditioned into heterosexuality from a young age. And so I, I ended up having a crush on and then being with my best friend from synagogue. Um, and I'm going to respect the fact that I did indeed like this person, but I can also respect the fact that I did not love this person in the way that I have loved women. Mm -hmm. um or I mean I've been in love once and that was an extremely powerful experience and my being in love experience happened to be with a woman um and so just being able to respect the fact that although I was conditioned into heterosexuality that doesn't invalidate the fact that my desires or my crushes or whatever it may be romantic uh, or physical or emotional to other people, they're allowed to be along the spectrum of how intense they are. And that doesn't invalidate what that experience was. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. To all of that. Um, 
yeah, just I'm just thinking like I I'm I'm really trying to think back of like because I did have quote unquote crushes on boys and I'm trying to think, did I actually have crushes on them? Did I just pretend that I had crushes on them so people wouldn't think that I was weird, that I wasn't having crushes on people? Um something to explore. But I I do think that there's um definitely that like um I just lost what I was gonna say. Like this idea of um almost like gold star. Mm. Gold star lesbian, gold star gay pe- gay people who you know, for those of you listening who don't know what that means, it's like if you if you are someone who's a lesbian, let's say you've never had sex with someone who's a man and you were like only sleeping with someone of the same gender um, as if that's like the um, the only way to like really be respected as that identity, um, which is so limiting, so ridiculous. And it's um, honestly kind of equally as problematic as super straight, because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of interconnected natures of what does it mean to oh really <laughs> yeah yeah um and so yeah it's just it's just been an interesting thing to let myself think about and explore of like oh I actually do have attraction to other genders and what does that mean and I've like this is certainly something I never shared publicly but I feel safe to share with you now <laughs> and for everyone who's listening also like I've never was someone who watched porn before and I'm like, oh, this is like a very fun way to explore all of the different feelings that I'm feeling. Um, and then I also have a list that I found on my friend Tani's Instagram of ethical porn. And I was like, now if I'm gonna ingest porn, I want it to be ethical. So that's also something I'm thinking about. I was like, there's so much to think about. <laughs> there is so much to think about. Yeah. And that's the thing is that I am processing and just kind of projecting my thoughts into our space together. And it's not necessarily fully formed yeah so that's that's the other I guess misconception is that we both live very visible uh and our lives are very public and there mm-hmm. may be this misconception that we have it all figured out that where we are it's kind of like this idea of there's a static place or there's this end aspect of your journey whereas the truth of the matter is that it is a journey for the reason that there is no final destination we're always going to be in this in this space Mm-hmm. And so I have so much more to definitely think about and process about my attraction and the different modes of attraction, right? Like that sexuality isn't just physical, that there's so many other aspects that are so important, like the mental, emotional, and intellectual connections. And I know I'm leaving out so many others that are related to sexuality and how in a similar way that I used the, our current society's understanding of femininity, which is only actually like within the last 200 years that like pink has been associated with girls. So it's like very recent people mm-hmm. seem to think it's that. Like in the Eisenhower era, even when it's yeah, switched. Exactly. Like, oh, like the Roosevelt's literally like my favorite pictures ever are that from, I think it was like the, it was only in the early 1900s, I want to say that it was white dresses were the gender neutral, acceptable clothing for all children up to age seven. So was having long hair and wearing jewelry and doing all those fabulous things. And so like our gender associations are just so recent. Um, uh, I'm smiling so big because in all of my trainings, I show that exact picture of (laughs) President Roosevelt as a kiddo. And I'm like, guess who this is? And very few people actually guess it. They always think it's me. And so I'm always like, it's not me. <laughs> well, but like, like, it is, that is like such a good example. 
Yes, because it's also just uh, one of my other favorite things to do is when I give my presentations and I break apart gender and I say, actually, what we think of as a singular concept of gender is three completely separate identities that are misconflated. So like our gender identity, gender expression, sex sign at birth. And then I say, and let's look at one of the major ways in which these identities are conflated, looking at gender reveal parties and how gender reveal parties are actually sex reveal parties. And then we look at the fact that there are sex reveal parties, we've associated gender expression. And this is all having to do with an unborn child based off of their genitals, which is not even sex or the complete definition of sex. And so that's one of the, my favorite examples for the, we're going to dismantle this and we're going to rebuild it with the actual definitions and terminology and understanding of these identity categories. And that was, that was my rant. All of which is to say that when I had to use pink and forms of femininity as a way to show that as a way just to show that like, hey, let me define me for myself. I realized that as I was trying to also tell the world that I am valid as a gay person, that that meant that I internalized them and I couldn't be attracted to people who were not women. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I picked up yeah. recently when I saw the Little Nas X Montero music video and realized, holy shit, maybe you are attracted to men. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe allow your, allow that thought to simmer and see what happens. And then I started to realize, oh my gosh, I think I've weaponized my own understanding of my sexuality to, to valid, to not be put into another box of, Mm -hmm. well, you've liked men. So you're going to continue to like men. Um, Damn. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. So um, another similarity that we have, um, which said everything, um, <laughs> is um, having top surgery as a non-binary or genderqueer person, also being on testosterone as a non-binary or genderqueer person. Um, so I'm curious if you would share with us your experience of kind of figuring out those specific pieces of your journey. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Oh, something that... I know has impacted me and is something that I talk so openly about is that there is this false idea that there is a checklist or a roadmap to being trans. Uh, and although that exists in many people's minds, especially when you think of, oh, if you are a binary trans person, then this is what you do if you're a trans man, or this is what you do if you're a trans woman, it still doesn't exist. But nonetheless, when you look at non-binary or genderqueer, gender expansive identities, there certainly is not a roadmap because living outside of the binary, you can't check off those boxes that may exist when you follow those cis ideals. And the reason why it doesn't exist is exactly because you're following this ideal of that cis bodies are the norm and this is what you need to look like. And if that, and if that is what your body looks like, amazing, beautiful, valid, you are worthy. I am not saying that that is not the case. What I'm saying is that you do not need to alter your body to fit those ideals to be valid as a man or to be valid as a woman. And so it took me it was really scary. It took me uh, a lot of fear (laughs) to realize that I needed to make a decision and that I was questioning. I knew that I was not comfortable with my chest for pretty much my entire life. I didn't actually, to my knowledge, I can't remember. It may just be one of those repressed memories that it's never coming back or that I'm okay with it never coming back. I know I've heard a lot of trans folks say, like, as soon as I hit puberty, like I knew, I don't remember what I do remember 
is actually wishing that I had a bigger chest so that I could impress the quote boys at my brother's Mm. school because of Mm. that being so trained into me. Although at the same time, not necessarily being comfortable and truly feeling like I was in drag and the drag just happened to be attached to my body. And I knew that because I could truly, this is so silly, but it's true. I could truly never pick an outfit for myself, like a femme outfit. I would wear the same two dresses every single time. (laughs) I could not choose a femme outfit for the life of me. Like I would need my mom or my sister to come and choose my outfit for me. (laughs) I am exploding over here because it's so... Same. I have no idea what I was doing. My, I never bought my own bra ever. My mom bought my bras until I had top surgery because it was such a painful, awful, terrible experience. I hated doing it. I had no, I one time wore to like a very fancy family dinner. Truly, I had no idea. I wore a like, it was like a, like a hot topic. It was a pink <laughs> fitted t shirt that said hugs, not drugs. But I was like, my sister's like, what the fuck are you wearing to this fancy dinner? And I was like, I don't know. It's fitted and it's pink. I like literally had no idea how to do it. I'm so with you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, thank goodness. I yeah. That relates. Because that is just, oh my gosh. I even like, I can picture the dresses in my mind, like the specific outfits that I, that were like my go-to, like, oh, I know that this is one that would be chosen for me. And I, and I did, I do believe I did feel beautiful wearing those outfits. And I also know that I felt beautiful because I was, I would get the approval from from society or whoever I was with that I was beautiful for those reasons. Mm -hmm. So a whole other part of like my current journey in loving myself and in self-care and in affirmation and in finding euphoria has been in loving my body after experiencing so much body and gender-based trauma, um, but also in understanding that I've always been beautiful no matter what my body has looked like. Uh, And so I definitely, I knew that top surgery Top surgery was the first thing that I knew I wanted and needed before tea. I just, I didn't even realize that binders really existed. I was scared to use binders because I wasn't, because obviously safe binding is so, so very important and needs to be accessible to all people. Oh my goodness. Cannot stress that enough, but also scared of as an athlete, it was, I would always wear sports bras. Like I can't actually... Oh my God. I can't even like remember the last time I wore like an actual wire sports bra. I would always wear sports bras, which were kind of like binders mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, and so when I actually like was introduced to binders, I was like, wow, my chest is flat. This is amazing. And so I was wearing binders and wearing binders. And I was like, this, this feeling isn't going away, but do I really need to have top surgery? This feeling is really not going away. I just want to like not wear a shirt. Can I just exist as this human? Like if society didn't sexualize my chest, I don't know if I would have had to have top surgery. And I, and I knew that. And that was one of the things that I was combating with so deeply was do I even do I want top surgery? Do that's not do I want, I guess, do I need top surgery or do I need tea for me or so that society can finally see me as the person I am? Dang it. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And same, same, same. Yeah. And it's the, the sad and the, just the realistic truth of the matter is that where we currently are with our society is we still are so ingrained in the idea that this is what a quote man's body looks like. And it's mm-hmm. associated with maleness, or this is what a quote woman's body looks like associated with femaleness. And so to be read as a masculine person, still a different identity than all the things we're discussing. Yep. You, one must align themselves with the man and or male category. And so in, in the philosophy of just thinking about all of these topics, I really do I really did wonder and currently wonder if it would have been necessary for me to have top surgery or if I was just allowed to have the body that I have or had and exist in ways where my body wasn't sexualized, could that have been enough? Where people didn't wrongly assume I was a woman based on the fact that I was assigned female at birth and had what is deemed feminine characteristics. Yeah. Would T necessarily be what is affirming for me? if I could just be me and be a human and exist without these preconceived notions of what my existence is based off of assumptions that have no place or role in my life. Yep. Amen. <laughs> yeah. For real. Um, I, I remember one of the first times I ever openly talked about tea was with my ex and it was exactly what you're just saying of like, you know, part of it is for me, but part of it is also to like, be affirmed in, in like the masculinity that I feel. And, um, and she like shut it down immediately. She's like, you should only do it for you. You shouldn't do it for other people. And like, was really shaming Mm. and it really shut down the conversation for years. Um, and so I'm not happy about that. Happy that I'm here now, but, um, it's true. It it's, it's like a both and, and yeah, like, what would it be like if society didn't place expectations on bodies and characteristics and we could just exist? Um, I thought of my chest as like a perpetual dress that I couldn't ever take off. It's like, I hate wearing dresses and I want it off my body every time I had one on. And I felt the same way about my chest. I think I would, I think for me, top surgery is a thing regardless of anything. It just was like, for sure. For me, I had a huge chest, huge. I even had a breast reduction at one point and it never occurred to me. It truly never occurred to me that, that, um, I could have had tops or it just never crossed my mind at all. And it probably also was not an option that you were given there. No, oh, absolutely not. Exactly. No. Therefore, why would it come across your mind? Just yeah. validating, validation, Thank you. validating. validating. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it just was, it's just, um, and then too, like exactly what you were saying earlier too, about this idea of a checkbox checklist mm-hmm. of like, this is what you have to do to be considered authentically trans and like when I went through the process of top sur- of getting my top surgery covered by insurance, there like basically was a checklist. And because I'm not a binary trans person and someone who wasn't on hormones, I like didn't fit a lot of the- most of the checkboxes. Um, and I was like, but this isn't related th- to me. This is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about me and my experience. And that's not, it's not being reflected in this document. Um, and so it's just like, <sighs> that felt really hard for me of like, cause I didn't know anybody who wasn't a binary trans man who'd had top surgery. I didn't, I didn't even know gender queer people existed, but I was like, I don't even care. I have to do this. I need this for myself. And it was really scary and lonely to do, to make that huge decision. I, I totally hear you. And I'm also, I'm so sorry that the message from your ex had that impact on you. And 
it's just true because the messages that we receive, they stick with us and they do impact us whether or not we're conscious of it or not. So I'm, I, I am so sorry that that was your experience. Thank you. And in the, in a different vein, we are still similar because <laughs> I know that like my flat chest, like even if my chest were not sexualized and women's bodies should not be sexualized in the first place, of mm-hmm. course, no person's body should be, but particularly in our misogynistic society, um, that my flat chest is everything to me that this is when I had top surgery, I, and I, whether it was when I immediately woke up or every single day when I wake up, I can't remember a time when this wasn't what my existence was, that that is just, this is just who I am. And that that's how I know that top surgery was everything that I needed for me. And I actually remember I wouldn't allow myself to even think about the possibility of having top surgery or having a flat chest until I actually had top surgery Mm. because I was so fearful and so anxious of whether it was uh, insurance or not having enough money to cover it uh, or something not going the way that it needed to, or me just having the highest hopes of it happening. And then something happened something occurring that resulted in me not having top surgery. I just, it was too painful to even think of the possibility that that could be my existence and having it taken away from me again. Uh, Wow. And so I just remember, I just had an image come to mind of thinking of, I think I had four days before my top surgery. I had top surgery. Let's see. I graduated from Bowdoin on the 25th of May and had top surgery on the 29th of May. Wow. I remember taking a picture in my college dorm. And it was the, I think it was like one of the only pictures I ever took shirtless. And I had just kind of like put like a block across my chest being like, I don't know what I said, but just remember feeling finally, like this is going to be my lived experience. Like I can allow myself, I can allow myself to understand that this is like, this is for me and I'm actually getting it. Um, yeah. So top surgery has just allowed me to live live as me and be recognized as me and it's just it's been so impactful for me uh and that's why I always talk about like yeah I'm non-binary and non-binary looks like whatever a non-binary person's body looks like or identity Mm -hmm. looks like or feels like and in the vein of testosterone or also I guess before I went to testosterone with top surgery I grew up as an athlete I was in athletics from the moment I was born. I cannot remember a, a second of my life where I was not in an athletic realm or field. And I never understood the athletic spaces as, especially growing up, uh, as really being gendered because I just saw them as community spaces. And as an athlete who was assigned female at birth, being an athlete was the quote jock or the masculine realm to be in. And so I found that to be affirming, even when I didn't really realize what was happening there. And then also in the same vein, would have to combat my masculinity in being an athlete with, well, I have a boyfriend. So like, you can't say that about me. Mm -hmm. Um, Just how complicated everything is. Uh, And so I remember just when I knew that top surgery was what I needed and when I had been wearing binders and I wouldn't always wear binders because I knew that my chest didn't determine my identity. It was still really difficult to be on. And I, I started on the women's team at my school. And when I came to my gender queer identity, did a lot of work to say like, 
I am going to be on the men's team because one, I am good enough and two, our policies say that I can be and therefore I'm going to be on the men's team. And so I switched teams in college and being on the men's team without having a body like everyone else's was definitely something that I was aware of and also impacted my mind as I was thinking of competition and being in that space. And so I know trans and athletics is a whole realm that I'm sure we can we can talk about on a different day, but I just wanted to note all those things because mm-hmm. top surgery now, I'm really excited to be able to be in athletics without worrying about like what bra I'm going to wear or if I'm going to feel something on my chest that isn't actually a part of me when I'm simply just here to to enjoy sports and competition. Yeah, I wish we had more time to talk about <laughs> trans athletes and kids being able to play sports and policy and the effects of legislation. Um, It's just, it's such a big topic and needs to get talked about all the time. So people know what's going on. Yes. And it's Um, one of my, my new facilitations that I do is on looking at the trans and athletics quote debate because mm. it's not a debate, but also just breaking down all the misconceptions and understanding how to best support trans athletes. So I have a lot of resources on that for anyone that may need it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, I'm glad that you could play sports on a team that was affirming for you and at a collegiate level. That's incredible. Like so amazing. Um, and yeah, so I, I am mindful of time. There's one more thing I want to talk about before I bring us into our last section of the interview. Um, which is your, which is your work, your role as a LGBTQ plus educator, um, the way that you talk about, identity and experience is very much like coming from like a facilitator's like (laughs) mind. Um, I recognize it because that's how I talk about it. And that's what I do all day, every day um, through Keshet. And um, so like, like share with us, like, so you said that you have, you have now a new module, you don't use the word module, but like presentation about um, uh, trans kids and athletics and debunking the myth. And for another day, I can tell you a story about how I entered a training, not as a facilitator, but as a spectator, uh, and was taught, we were being told that we have to learn about all sides of the, the issue, and that maybe we shouldn't jump to affirming trans kids, because some some realize they're not trans, and we need to hear all sides. And I was like, well, this is transphobic as balls. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so anyways, that's a whole nother story. But um, so we need more people like you to actually like, hey, why don't we bring in an expert on the topic uh, to talk about this content? So anyways, yes. tell us about what, tell us about your consulting practice, practice, consulting <laughs> practice, <laughs> and anything else that we need to know so we can support you in your work. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. So I, I have been working as a educator and facilitator and public speaker since coming to my identities. And my first internships in college were at LGBTQ plus organizations. And I, and it was also in those spaces that I realized that like I could finally feel safe and be myself and be able to do the work that I wanted to do. And also it was all community-based. So my first internship was at uh, Equality Maine because my, my college was in Maine and I was doing development and leadership. Uh, and that was when I was still coming to my gender queer identity. Um, and then after that, I was at Glad uh, LGBTQ plus law firm in Boston doing community engagement. And it was really there 
where I was eight when I was producing educational resources. I was a community, I was out in the community providing resources and hosting conversations and at all the pride events that I realized that this is what I love to do. Mm. Like this is what I am meant to do. And so when I would go back, when I went back on campus after these experiences, I, and even since just coming out as gay, speaking so openly about my identities and who I am, I realized was helping people in not only gain knowledge, but also to gain perspective uh, and to be able to understand how to navigate this conversation with a family member or friend or a stranger who, who shares a LGBTQ plus identity with someone who doesn't. And so in college, I started to uh, to give facilitations and keynote addresses and workshops in a whole range of places. So I've worked with Greek life organizations on college campuses, as well as nonprofit organizations that help provide resources to the homeless or nonprofits that work with youth having access to specific athletic facilities that are otherwise uh, kind of gate kept based off of socioeconomic status. And so I just saw the impact of not only me sharing my own personal lived experience as a queer and trans person, but also having the unique knowledge of studying psychology and gender sexuality and women's studies and being able to pair my academic knowledge with my lived experience. Because one of my theses that I wrote in college had to do with the impact of knowing a non-binary person on both binary trans people and cis people, because there's a lot of gatekeeping and uh, negative messaging that binary trans people will give to non-binary trans people. All this is to say using my academic knowledge and my lived experience to be able to provide affirming queer knowledge to all ages, identities, backgrounds, and existences. Uh, And so my most, I would say, commonly given presentations are called What's Gender, which is pretty much your foundational information on gender, gender 101. Another one is Let's Talk About Sexuality, just looking at sexuality foundationally. Trans and athletics, looking at the, quote, debate and how to adequately and appropriately understand that it's not a debate Mm -hmm. and then actual steps taken to be allies in action. And every single one of my facilitations always comes with the conclusion of, Allies, being an ally means that it is a verb, there's action. And these are the tangible steps that one must take to actually be an ally. And I also have, I have a whole slew that kind of break out from those foundational knowledge. So the history of pink and blue, looking more specifically at gender expression, uh, a workshop on allyship, just really breaking down the tangible steps that folks need to be able to under, not understand, that was a mis, misspoke there, but to be able to go into the world and use privilege and platform to be able to support the community. And then also I love, I'm a storyteller. I'm an entertainer. I love to share my story, whether it's coming out or being a trans athlete uh, or what affirmation means it can look like. So a lot of the work that I do is also around just sharing my story in whichever modes are needed to be able to provide perspective. And I know that I'm forgetting a whole slew of other things. Long story short, I am establishing myself and I have been working at within this queer knowledge as, as an expert of lived experience and academically. And so I am here because I want to make the world the place that it can be because change is possible. And my belief is that we can have positive societal and effective change through education. And that's why I'm an educator. Amazing. (laughs) I love it. Yes, exactly. That's amazing. And, uh, and folks can, 
look at all of your resources and the, all the different options of engaging with your work um, on your website, which I will link to. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, I think there's so much power in storytelling. That's like what I, so much of what I do uh, at Keshet, but also through thank you for coming out both on this podcast and hearing people's stories and also through the improv show and other, other kinds of things that we do. It's just, it's so important to share our stories and to be heard, to be affirmed, to see ourselves in other people and to create connection. It's just, it's amazing. Yes. It's so magical. It is. It is magical for sure. Um, okay. So I'm going to move us into our, I don't want to do this. We <laughs> to do our last section because we could talk for literally days, I'm sure. And everything we say would be identical. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so this is a lightning round. Um, season one and two had very binary questions. I was gently called in about that. Um, grateful I did, was called in. And so now they're mostly all open-ended except for one, uh, which is mostly a running joke, but also very serious. Um, so the first one is if you can name your own crayon, what would you name it? Crayon? Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> Lex Factor Ooh. or like Rex. I don't know. Something along those lines. Love it. Love it. What's your favorite time of day? Around 11 a.m. Mm. <laughs> All right. Or sunset if I'm outside. Ooh, yeah. Favorite current queer media representation? Ooh, representation as in platform or group or person? What, however you interpret the question. <sighs> Anything gender-free, gender-expansive. Great. Is there one in particular that's coming to mind? I'm thinking of a brand that I love and work with called Play Out Apparel in New York mm. City because their whole basis is that you shop your style and not your gender mm. and how impactful and important that is. And how, if I had seen a brand like that from an earlier age, just the, the, the affirmation that I feel in, in that space. Amazing. I love that. Um, a song that makes your heart soar. All I can hear is a siren outside my <laughs> No, you're too. Which is distracting me. I mean, I have to say Montero, which I'm sure so many other people have. That song, I just, oh my gosh, it opened up so many, so many realms of processing and affirmation for me. I think you're the first person to say that. How dare. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At least on this podcast. Um, Favorite way to travel? Ooh. Bike or on foot? Hmm. Favorite quote? Ooh, I hope I don't butcher it. It's Audre Lorde. It's not our differences that divide us, uh, but rather our inability to celebrate, cherish, and uplift those differences. Beautiful. Okay. Bagels or donuts? I that she said it much better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very lovely. Um, bagels or donuts? Bagels. That's the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Lex, this was so incredible. Thank you so much for sharing of your time and your wisdom and your experience. It's so, so appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute pleasure sharing this space with you. It was so wonderful. Yes. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. 
Hey everyone, it's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at Thank You For Coming Out, and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community, and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.